Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to I'm Not Crazy. Cameron Jones here with my co-host. Nicole. Uh, this week, in honor of your host getting married, <laughs> we got married, uh, we had a little mini honeymoon at the Congress Plaza Hotel. And Pretty place. If you aren't aware, the Congress Plaza Hotel is one of the most, if not the most, haunted hotel in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now, you knew this before booking it. Yes. Um, I didn't exactly know. But, I didn't say anything. Well, I mean, we I knew before we got there that it was that it was spooky. Yeah. So I thought in honor of that in our wedding, I would do a special history episode on the Congress Plaza Hotel. What a romantic. Yeah, I know. So let's get into it. The hotel was opened in 1893 to accommodate the World's Columbian Exposition, the famous World's Fair that we know about with H.H. H. Holmes. Mm-hmm. So it goes back pretty far, uh, which took place in the very same year in 1893. It was not originally called the Congress, but referred to as the Auditorium Annex. It was an adjunct to the Auditorium Theater across the roadway, which was completed in 1889. Okay, so to learn about the Congress Hotel, we need to take it back a few years to the construction of the Auditorium Building and the World's Fair. Okay. So Ferdinand Wythe Peck was an ambitious philanthropist who had dreams of making a state-of-the-art performance venue that could make culture available to the general public at affordable prices. To accommodate this dream, he had a revolutionary concept to have a multifunctional building housing a theater, hotel, and offices to help cover the cost and keep production low. This was all the more ambitious because it was on the heels of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, and Chicago was already rife with labor issues. So this was an attempt to put Chicago back on the map after the full after the fire as a place of culture and business and just you know just to to, just like almost like a one stop shop Mm -hmm. kind of yeah but it was but it was a big ambitious thing to kind of put Chicago back on the map after the fire to show that we still have industry and business here so the opening was a huge success bringing in a slew of politicians and and celebrities including President Benjamin Harrison and Vice President Levi Morton. The opening ended up playing a key role in the decision to host the World's Fair in Chicago over our competitors in St. Louis, New York, and D.C., proving that Chicago had the vision and the financing to successfully produce a world-class fair. Hell yeah. Yeah, we do. So in its prime, the theater and the hotel would have seen the likes of John Philip Sousa, Sarah Bernhardt, the Siegfeld Follies, Anna Pavlova, and Helen Morgan. It also saw political figures such as Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Booker T. Washington... In Booker T. Washington. So when uh, Roosevelt came up with the the Bull Moose Party, or yeah. the, uh, that actually happened at the Congress Plaza Hotel. Really? It was also a host to many political events and, and party gatherings. Okay. So the hotel was once known as the home of the presidents with visits from Grover Cleveland, William McKinley, Theodore Roosevelt, William Taft, Woodrow Wilson, Warren Harding, Calvin Coolidge, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Richard Nixon. Holy shit. Yep. Uh, so it was just the hoity-toity, elegant hotel in Chicago for many, many years. Okay. So with the success of the building concept in the World's Fair on the way, construction for the Auditorium Annex, or the Congress Plaza Hotel, began with the North Tower. So just the main structure that we actually stayed in. If I okay, believe. I was going to say, is that the one that we stayed in? Because yep. it was a little bit more... It was the older first section of the hotel, which was built by famous hotel developer R.H. Southgate. It was meant to match the facade and uh, the design of the auditorium across the street. Okay. So a fun feature, uh, connecting the two buildings, there used to be what was called Peacock Alley, which was a marble underground passage that went underneath the street to connect the hotel and the theater. Uh, it just would have been a way to keep off the street. It was called Peacock because of the vibrant colors present in the marble and the stonework down there, apparently. 
Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, they still have, I mean, there's still that um, walkway that can take you from, like, Millennium Station to, like, a, a bunch of different, like, places. But, but there was, the, the, the hallway, the tunnelway has since been closed for many years, but it was, uh, it was just an elegant marble underground pathway that connected the two buildings. Interesting. So the hotel would have originally featured cobble streets, gas lights, and horse-drawn carriages. I'd love to see that. The buildings would have housed a hotel, theater, and offices. Mm -hmm. The South Tower was constructed in 1902 and 1907 and was designed by renowned architectural firm Hullabird and Roach. It included a magnificent banquet hall now known as the Golden Ballroom Mm -hmm. or the Gold Ballroom, which would become the first hotel ballroom in America to have air conditioning. Really? Yep. Uh, another ballroom, the Florentine Room, was added to the North Tower as well. Uh, and Chicago's elite held soirees in these rooms, along with the other two rooms, uh, the Elizabethan and the Pompeian. So, Wait, so how many ballrooms are there altogether? Uh, I, well, these ones are kind of, I think, more of just uh, like, banquet rooms too. But So okay. I believe two main ballrooms, the, the Golden Room and the Florentine Room, and there's also the Elizabethan and the Pompeian, like different like halls. Like banquet hall, yeah. Yeah. okay. Uh, The hotel was renamed at the Congress Hotel in 1911. The Elizabeth Room was renamed the Joseph Urban Room, uh, which featured a revolving bandstand and became home to the NBC radio show featuring Benny Goodman in the 1930s. So the hotel had, uh, it was was swanky, it was big political figures, it was celebrities, and it was also a broadcasting area for a while with the show being put up through there. So that's kind of crazy. The hotel began to fall in decline with the introduction of private bathrooms becoming standard in Chicago hotels. And then the Chicago Symphony Orchestra moved to Orchestra Hall in 1904. A few decades later, the Grand Opera relocated to the Civic Opera House in 2029. Okay. So in the early 30s, they debated tearing the building down, but it was estimated to cost more to demolish the building than the land was worth. So following a run of the comedic revival of Hell's a Poppin', never heard of it. Hell's a Poppin'. The Auditorium Theater went bankrupt and closed in 1941. Okay. In 1942, the Auditorium was taken over by the City of Chicago to be repurposed as World War II Servicemen's Center. So this was uh, both Interesting. the Auditorium we're mostly talking about right now. Right. But also the, the hotel at this point was also taken over uh, to be used for just World War II purposes and government buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the stage in the front rows of we're talking about the auditorium theater right now mm-hmm. of the stage in the front rows of the theater were converted to a bowling alley and a lot of the ornate stencil work and plaster work uh was covered up with just regular drywall and stuff yeah uh the auditorium building had more than 2.2 million servicemen housed fed and entertained between 1941 and 1945 crap so there's That's just a, a lot. i know there's just a rich history with the building be it it's early beginnings, the World's Fair. Then it's just a soiree, swanky place, good hotel for like politicians and celebrities. Yeah. And then for then for years, just millions of servicemen during World War II. So there's just a lot of energy in this building. Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, at the Congress Plaza Hotel, that was being used for the U.S. Army Air Force training as well as some different administration offices. So a lot of it was going on at the theater, but the hotel as well is being used for the same kind of stuff and just spillover. So in 1946, Roosevelt University saved the theater from demolition by acquiring the building, uh, but they lacked any of the funding to actually restore the building. So it sat vacant for two decades before they were finally able to renovate and reopen the theater on October 31st, 1967. And it's remained under the ownership of Roosevelt University since and has been, you know, the auditorium theater has since put on many productions and it's just an running theater. So the actual hotel portion reopened for civilian use, uh, time for the summer political conventions in 1944. 
1950, the Pick Hotel Corporation bought the hotel and oversaw a major renovation of the entire building. So it seems like they're just, it's bits and pieces that's that close that are closed off mm -hmm. right and then some parts that remain open throughout this time period yeah well it's a ginormous building so like the first so like section while, while it the the hotel portion remains vacant they're still actively using other parts of the hotel mm -hmm. offices and okay. different things i mean and mostly throughout world war ii though the entire building was used for offices and housing though right so this is a giant hotel we will be posting pictures but just to give you an idea essentially the north tower is kind of just like a city square block almost yeah and that is just the first structure that was built and then there's like a ballroom connecting in a hallway to the south tower which is just another almost like twice the length of the first tower just like a huge block tower building in downtown chicago mm -hmm. so the actual hotel portion like we were saying reopened in for the conventions in 44 yeah the pick hotel corporation bought the hotel and oversaw major renovations of the entire building which included new suites and also some of the restaurants that funny enough we used for our room service yeah. So another moder modernization project began in the 1960s, uh, which added another ballroom and escalators. So the hotel is not currently affiliated with any major chain and has been privately owned by a group of investors led by Albert Nasser of Tel Aviv, Israel, since 1987. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So now that we have an idea of the history of this building, it was built off the um, success of the auditorium next door and was built specifically to house foot traffic for the Chicago World's Fair, which is crazy. I didn't know the history went back that old from the building when we stayed there. We already know it has a bunch of different history. It's had a lot of high emotions, be right. from weddings to political events to even a lot of funerals have been housed there. So you can understand why a building like this throughout the years that's housed so much emotion might be one of the most haunted buildings Spooky in the city. So now let's get into some of the notable deaths at the hotel and who we think some of these ghosts might be. Okay. So this one is actually just seven years after the the, the hotel opened. And this was still one of Seven years after? Yep. So this was still the auditorium annex. So this was very early in the hotel's life. Captain Louis Ostheim was a Spanish-American war veteran of the 1st United States Artillery and suffered heavily from PTSD as a result of his service. Mm -hmm. This mainly manifested for him as terrible night terrors and insomnia, but he also had just other common symptoms of PTSD. Okay. On April 2nd, 1900, he checked into the Auditorium Annex Hotel alone, having just been transferred from the 6th Artillery in Manila to the 1st Artillery in the United States. He arrived in Chicago specifically to marry his girlfriend, Ava Bruce Wood, who he had met previous to the Spanish-American War while he was stationed at Fort Sheridan in Illinois. Upon his check-in, he was reported to be in excellent health, but had a reserved manner and was very tan from his time in the Philippines. There are no odd reports from his stay, and he was last seen alive on April 7th at 9 p.m. when he asked the clerk for a key to his room. When a chambermaid went to check his room the following morning, she found that the door was locked and went about her duties to the other rooms. Mm -hmm. She returned to the room at the end of her shift, but found that the door was still locked and received no, respo no response from the inside. Ugh. She reported this to the office clerks in the lobby, but they concluded that the captain was tired and deserved a long rest from his service, so they just left him in his room until the following day. So with no response... So he's probably been dead for two days. Yeah, he's definitely been there. So with no response the entire following day, yeah. on the evening of April 9th, workers entered the room to find Captain Ostheim dead, lying on top of a new revolver with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his right temple. Oof. He didn't leave a suicide note, and the only things found on him were eight fifty dollars bills, five $20 bills, and a check for $210. 
There was also an address for a Miss Clara Osheim, but it was just a relative and I mean, the wedding and stuff and he was back from service overseas. So, I mean, that's there's nothing weird about that. He just had a relative's address on him. Yeah. So there's no connection there. Uh, the two re- wedding rings were also found in the room and grieved to Ava and to Louis. Uh, and unfortunately, they were supposed to be married the day after his body was found. Oh, the cause for the suicide was a mystery as there were no clues in the hotel room and he appeared to be in good spirits as he was about to be married the day after the body was found. So they had an extensive honeymoon as well planned and he had just purchased travel arrangements for the pair as well as lodging. So it didn't seem like he had been planning to kill himself or anything. But no one heard him shoot himself in the head? There was no report of that either. There was no there was no report of any struggle, sound, or gunshot or anything. I feel like that's... Hard to believe, but okay. Mm -hmm. So in the end, his death was ruled an accident as a result of his insomnia, uh, which I think they were just using as a blanket term to say his PTSD because they wouldn't have had a term for that at the time in his night terrors. So the theory being that the captain had woken from a particularly bad night terror in an unfamiliar place. And in his panic, he just reached for the gun on his bedside table and shot himself kind of in a daze without thinking. So they don't think it was premeditated. They don't think he was sad or suicidal. They just think his PTSD got the better of him. So sightings of Ostheim's ghost have been reported throughout the building, but some people believe he is known as the Shadow Man, who we will get to later, but there is a shadowy black figure who was seen around the hotel. And we don't exactly know who that is, but some because there are sightings of people who have said they've seen his ghost in particular, but some people think he's the Shadow Man. Huh. So around September of 1939, Carol Langer, along with his wife Adele, and their two boys, Carl Tommy Langer and Jan Misha Langer, arrived in America after fleeing Nazi occupation of Czechoslovakia. They had a six-month visitor visa as well as a worker visa for Bolivia, but they had eventual plans to move to Canada to open up a business and restart their lives there. Mm-hmm. They would have obviously preferred to stay in America, but the process for the visas and the citizenship was very complicated and timely, yeah. and they feared having to return to war-torn Europe before actually getting anything figured out. Yeah. Uh, so because of their haste to leave the country, Carl ended up selling his textile business and fortune to a longtime employee for pennies on the dollar at 7500 What do, does it say what it equates to today's money? Uh, no, but he would have been a millionaire. He was, he was a wealthy textile manufacturer. Yeah. So he rightfully feared that the Nazis would have taken his factory, so he preferred to leave it in someone's hands that he knew and kind of to do it on his own terms, but he lost most of their fortune and their possessions fleeing the country. The family spent three weeks in Chicago to be near two aunts of Mrs. Langer while Carl worked on settling their affairs and getting everything in order. Mm -hmm. So during this time, they tried taking the children to a boys camp to learn English, but the boys hated it. So they ended up returning home shortly after going. Also during this time, Miss Langer was quite vocal about being depressed, suicidal, and wanting to take her babies with her. Like to the Mm -hmm. other side? Yes, with her to death. So on August 4th, 1939, Adele and the boys enjoyed an afternoon at the Lincoln Park Zoo, mm-hmm. after which they returned to a hotel room on the 12th floor of the Congress Plaza Hotel, okay. which would have been the, our North Tower, I believe. Yeah. Adele Langer threw both of her children from a hotel window to their deaths on Michigan Avenue. Holy crap. Before leaping from the window herself to join them in death. Carl Langer returned later that evening to the horrific scene where an investigation was being launched. He was quoted in the newspaper as saying, We left our homeland for the sake of our children. We hope to find opportunities to give them a better life. Langer, a short, frail little man, spoke through an interpreter. 
His eyes were bloodshot and visible tremors shot through his frame. I practically gave it away to my oldest employee because I felt Hitler would soon seize it and order me to give it away. A jury found her temporarily insane arising from her despondency at having been forced from her homeland. So once again, just because we kind of don't have good mental health descriptions back in the day, it was any, a lot of these drastic suicides are just being labeled as accidental based on meant just a brief insanity is yeah. what a lot of these are being based on, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, but so, throwing someone out Yeah, it's a pretty sad the one. 12. So after the incident, the room on the 12th floor was immediately boarded up and wallpapered over. That room has not been used since. Mm-hmm. Guests claim to hear mysterious noises coming from behind the wall on the 12th floor in between this gap. And there's also many sightings of Carol Tommy Langer, the older of the two boys throughout the hotel, but particularly on the 12th floor, he's said to be seen. So here are just some other notable suicides at the hotel also. I can't wait. <clears throat> we don't, I don't have names for all these. I was, it was kind of hard to find records because, again, this hotel goes back to like the World's Fair. And I actually did just look up old newspaper clippings for a lot of this research, which was kind of fun and kind of creepy. Yeah. James Kennedy was a New Yorker who came to the hotel in May of 1910. Mm-hmm. After checking in, he cut all the identifying tags from his clothes and burned all of his personal documents before crossing the street to the lake and shooting himself. So this wasn't at the hotel. This was at the no, lake. No, this was at the lake across the street, but he but he did a bunch of weird prep of cutting all the tags and identifying markers off his clothing and stuff before doing it, which is weird. Mm-hmm. That same year, an insurance salesman, Andrew Mack, visited a friend who was staying at the hotel. Yeah. After he visited, he crossed the street and walked into the lake drowning himself so there is a theme of people what? coming to the hotel and then immediately killing themselves in the lake which is kind of interesting in 1916 mining investor morris davis and his wife attempted suicide by taking cyanide pills in the room so they were later taken to saint mary's mission where she claimed that it was an accident and they didn't know what they'd been taking but she then tried to throw herself from a third story window uh her oh. husband did not survive she did I believe. Uh, A salesman committed suicide by throwing himself down an open elevator shaft. A man hung himself in the cupboard hook in his room. And a drifter apparently jumped from the roof of the North Tower. Uh, These were all that I can find. And I kind of lost names here because a lot of these are just stuff from the internet too. So who knows about some of these last ones. But I mean, it's a hotel that's been open for a long time. There's definitely been suicides. There's definitely been deaths here. Yeah. So let's talk about just some famous ghost stories coming from the hotel now. Okay. So this is coming to a security guard named John who's worked at the hotel for more than 30 years now. Mm -hmm. John has claimed to have countered a little boy spirit on the 12th floor who he believes is Carl Tommy Langer. He said he got a call that a little boy was running around and making a lot of noise on the 12th floor, so he went up to investigate. John said he didn't initially see anything, but while standing at the far end of the hallway, he saw a little boy who didn't look much different from a typical little boy, except that his clothes were older and worn. Mm-hmm. John reported that he pointed at the little boy and said, Hey, you're not supposed to be up here running around. John says the boy looked at him, grinned, and slowly faded away before his eyes. Spooky. Scary. Boys becoming men. Men, men becoming, becoming wolves. wolves. Sorry. I, I get you nailed rock, it. You stuck nailed it for the first time in so a So John reported running to the boy a couple other times at the hotel, uh, but he also said he encountered the boy at his home. John was at home one night settling down for a quiet evening sitting in his easy chair, putting on some music and preparing to open a book when he looked up for a split second and the little boy was standing in front of him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just the same, the boy smiled and just disappeared. So things have followed John home. home, 
Uh, so he's mostly seen on the 12th floor, but guests have seen an old-timey child throughout the entire building. We did not. So this is just a room in general, but room 441 on the South Tower is considered to be the most haunted room in the hotel. Why? We don't have a specific death or anything marked to it, but here's what most people report when they stay in there. Mm -hmm. Most people report that someone is tugging or pushing on the bed or the sheets, but they also report a woman standing or hovering above the bed and they will wake up to them, her just staring at them in room 441. Again, no reports of who this woman is. Uh, there's also reports of this woman walking in and out of the bathroom as people are sleeping and they'll just see a random woman, a gray lady coming in and out. Okay. So room 441. So this one is a little loose. What room number did we stay in? 1,104 or something. We oh, were, I think it was 1031. Yeah, we were up there. We were, we were higher up. So, uh, loose facts on this one, but apparently there was a judge who lived full-time in the Congress Hotel after he retired, mm -hmm. and apparently this judge was a prankster, and he liked going up and down the hotel uh, hallways with a remote, messing with people's channels, just to also, he people at that point had already said it was haunted, and he kind of liked buying into it. Yeah. But apparently- What a dick. Apparently he's been dead for years, but that's been going on still, where on that floor, which I couldn't find records, so this one seems loose, Yeah. but <clears throat> I guess that ghost judge- is still doing it. Hmm. Uh, loose records on that one. Now, this one is super interesting. So we mentioned the World's Fair, right? Yeah. So, and we also mentioned Dr. H.H. H. Holmes, America's Correct. first serial killer. Yes. There's actually sightings of H.H. H. Holmes and records tying him to the Congress Plaza Hotel. So America's first serial killer, Dr. H.H. H. Holmes, was known to have loitered around the lobby of the hotel to search for new victims. Mm -hmm. So with his murder castle, or what he called the World's Fair Hotel, as the main competitor for fairgoers and victims, he would sit in the Auditorium Annex hotel lobby scouting for unaccompanied young women. He would tell them that this hotel is too expensive and that he had a more affordable option in town, his murder castle. Right. So because the Auditorium Hotel was built specifically to house the fair people and his was also the competition, it was kind of some of his main stocking grounds where, apart from people just coming to his hotel, he would draw people from the hotel we stayed at. Mm -hmm. So apparently, people have seen his spirit in the lobby, and it's also said that a full body apparition will approach women, offering them more favorable lodging before he disappears in front of them. Ooh. But isn't it creepy that Dr. H.H. H. Holmes, Amer what most people consider America's first serial killer, and if you don't know anything about this, he created a hotel that was called the Murder Castle yep. in Chicago that had like trap doors, hidden rooms, like a whole murder dungeon where he was just taking hotel guests and selling their skeletons essentially and like using a whole insurance scheme. Mm -hmm. It's a crazy story, but the hotel lobby at the Congress Plaza were part of his hunting grounds weird and it said he can still be seen there so this one is super unverified but people say that al capone haunts the congress hotel okay so there's no proof tying him to the hotel because he I feel never like a lot of people say al capone haunts yeah main places in yeah Chicago. so he never signed in into the hotel under his name but that's not necessarily super weird because he probably would have come An in alias under an alias or something anyway. yeah but it's rumored that he once owned the hotel during the height of his power. But again, there's no records proving or tying any of that. Yeah. So with it being a beacon of business in high society, it's almost certain that Al Capone and other gangsters used the hotel. But there's no proof like actually linking him to a place or anything really significant. Right. So it's rumored that the hit for the Valentine's Day massacre was made on a phone from the lobby of the Hon Congress Hotel. So there is a major historical event maybe that could have some sort of 
residual haunting flashback kind of thing. But again, not verified. Yeah. So because the Congress Hotel is such an important place, many people think residual haunting. There's so much energy that maybe people are seeing Capone, but it's just like it's a time flashback. It's not like he's actively haunting the Congress Hotel. He has no reason to. So that's what a lot of people say, but that one's pretty loose. So now we're going to talk about the most frequently seen and popular ghost at the Congress Plaza Hotel, Peg Leg Johnny. So, Fun name. Yeah, he has a great name. So this is one of the most frequently seen spirits, and he was a one-leg hobo who either died right <laughs> outside of the hotel. No, you're fine. He was either a one-leg hobo that died right outside of the hotel or was murdered on the hotel property, hearing multiple reports. I was hoping reports. he would be just like a merchant that like frequented the hotel, not just like a... Just a hobo that died on the property. Just a homeless man. So, he is seen throughout the entire hotel, but mostly in the gold room. He is a prankster that is said to mess with lights and appliances. Pretty much anything going on in the hotel, on in the hotel gets blamed on Peg Leg Johnny. That's just that's kind of the catch-all catch for ghosts in the hotel if something's going on for them. Ah, uh, there goes Peg Leg. Mm-hmm. So, there's loose history on who Peg Leg Johnny might have been, but it is a ghost seen with a wooden Peg Leg who is disheveled and he's a hobo. It's a hobo with a Peg Leg that they're seeing. But there are theories about who Peg Leg Johnny could have been. Okay. Many people have questioned, was Peg Leg Johnny a killer clown? Stop. Was Peg Leg Johnny Conway the killer clown? So now let's break down a little history for us. So when was Peg Leg Johnny being seen? I'm glad you asked. So let's get into a little history because <laughs> now we have is... like a, just a crazy another serial killer that people are thinking might be linked to this. So in 1908. Not Peg Leg Johnny. Well, maybe he's Conway, the killer clown. In 1908, a woman named Frances Thomas was found strangled to death and robbed in a home on the 1200 block of South Michigan. A man named Lumen Mann was tried for a murder but acquitted. Lumen Mann? A man named Lumen Mann. Yeah. L-U-M-A-N-M-A-N-N. Lumen Mann. Okay. Was tried for her murder and acquitted. But during the whole ordeal, Mann's father, Orville, received an anonymous note saying that he could solve the mystery if he went to Riverview, the Northside Amusement Park, and find a clown with a wooden leg. So Mr. Mann never... Yeah, isn't this crazy? This is crazy. Yeah, go ahead. So Mr. Mann never followed up on the clue, but four years later, just a clown was arrested for another murder in Chicago. In October 1912, an heiress named Sophie Singer came to Chicago with her fiancé, Will Worthen. They were met at the station by a Mrs. Conway, who suggested that they all get a flat together instead of a hotel. This Mrs. Conway was really Mrs. Louisa Kramer, the wife of Charles N. Kramer, or Charles Conway. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. The two were in the circus profession. Mrs. Conway was a lion tamer who also called herself the Queen of Burlesque. And Mr. Kramer doubled as Conway the Clown. Oh my God. And as my Comet. eyes can roll any harder. Okay. <laughs> he was Conway the Clown in Comet in a high dive act. So um, years earlier in a circus accident, I guess he lost the lower portion of one of his legs below the knee. Okay. So, so that's was, why he has a peg leg? Yep. So he's walking around with a self-built wooden foot. What a guy. Yep. So the circus couple was living off the generosity of their new friends, or Marks, uh, until Sophie thought it was time to cut ties with these free freeloaders and return to Baltimore. <laughs> Okay. So Mr. Worthen went out gambling where he had a fix at the races, phoning him the results before they could be telegraphed to the bookies. So he was just using technology to get the answers sooner, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, So upon his return to the house, he found the keyhole was stuffed. Breaking down the door, he found Sophie's feet sticking out from under the bed. 
Okay. She had been strangled to death and her hands had been tied with the clothesline and Kramer's handkerchief was shoved so deep into her throat that police needed pincers to remove it. Her jewelry had also been stolen. Uh, So this was just a straight up murder robbery. Yeah. After a nationwide search, the Kramers were caught in Lima, Ohio, near where Charles had been born in 1886. Mrs. Kramer quickly confessed. And when he learned of the confession, Charles did too, though he insisted his wife had nothing to do with the murder. Though he said it had been in self-defense following a quarrel after Miss Singer had suggested that Mrs. Kramer should try prostitution since she was the queen of burlesque. Uh, so during the confession, Miss Kramer managed in a couple jokes. You want to hear them? Sure, I'd love to hear it. Say, Captain, do you know that in this case you can't hang a man with a wooden leg? And then when the captain said, I've never heard of a law like that, Kramer said, you have to use a rope. <laughs> uh, yep. And then one reporter asked how he hurt his leg, which he replied, a steamboat ran it over. Oh, my God. Yep, still clowning. So they later recanted their confession, saying that the police had used the third degree, which I'm sure they beat a little bit out of it. Yeah. So who's to say if this is true or not? Right. Uh, But they said they denied him food, medicine, and put him in separate cells. Uh, Their confessions were thrown out, but they still received life sentences. Twelve years later, Conway the Clown escaped and was never seen again. He's been seen in Chicago. Well, he was never seen again. Many people think that Conway the Clown... No, his ghost. Well, that's... Many people think that Conway the Killer Clown is the spirit of Peg Like Johnny at the Congress Hotel, but I'm still not entirely sure why. There are records... There are are records of Peg Like Johnny? There are reports... Loitering around? There are reports of him being captured at the Congress Hotel instead of in, in Lima, Ohio. Okay. But... Those don't seem real. The The real record seems like they got caught in Ohio. But I think people, I think there's just another alternate version where they, there was like a hold, they got, they got caught and held up in like the lobby of the hotel or something. There's a version like that, but I don't think that's true. Okay. So haunted halls. So let's just talk about some of these other things that don't necessarily have a specific ghost or a death, but have some weird things going on. Okay. So there are, there are elegant ballrooms and halls in the hotel that have housed many important political events, weddings, and funerals, and everything in between, really, since the hotel opened. Mm-hmm. So it's no surprise, but these ornate ballrooms also are the home to some spirits. Okay. So the Florentine Banquet Room. The Florentine Room is one of the elegant ballrooms in the hotel and is said to be haunted by a mysterious woman. People have reported hearing a woman whispering in their ear in the ballroom. The piano is also said to mysteriously play by itself, and guests have reported furniture moving right in front of their eyes. This is actually backed up by security who have reported that they will lock up the Florentine room for the night, and then they will return to find that the furniture has rearranged itself inside. Creepy. Yeah. Scary. The gold room. More than one group of bridesmaids have reported that they will take photos inside of the banquet hall only to have the subjects not be present in the photos. This is a recent development with digital photos, but there's been multiple accounts of wedding parties taking pictures in there and the people just won't show up in photos. Interesting. Like they're they're just blurry? They won't show up at all. It's just blank. Blank. Okay. So so this is a recent thing with digital cameras, uh, but many people have reported this, but I haven't seen any of these pictures, but it's also easy just to take a blank picture and be like, see? Uh, But as of now, no one's died scary movie style from what I've been able to find. But that does seem pretty creepy. Yeah. The Hand of Mystery. Behind one of the sounds, okay. Yeah, I know. Behind one of the balconies in the very in the very same ballroom, okay. uh, through a hole in the drywall, a, a <laughs> ghost hunter. Yeah, I know. The, the hand this of mystery through like, a hole yeah. in the wall sounds a little sus. Yeah. But 
a ghost hunter took a picture through a hole in the drywall in one of these balconies in what appears to be a hand covered in plaster reaching out and gripping one of the support beams. Okay. So I've seen the pictures and it does pretty much look like a hand is coming out of the wall and grabbing a beam. Yeah. And this is pretty much deepening legends that either a construction worker was accidentally walled into the building during the construction or that an enemy of the mob when Al Capone supposedly owned it was killed and put in there. So people say that's either his spirit or the body he was being walled in and tried to reach out. But it does look kind of creepy, but it's not, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's just a weird drywall drip or something, but it does look like a hand okay. reaching from the building. So just another kind of creepy thing. Okay. There are a few sealed rooms throughout the hotel. And now general, some of this can be just probably excused as like, it's a huge place. Not every room is being used. Some so have been closed off. off. Yeah, yeah, there's multiple purposes. Like we just stayed in there and so it, it's a huge place. And they, it's they, massive. Yeah, so they can't fill all of it. But we do, know, we do know some of these. So the 12th floor room where Adele threw her children has been sealed off since the incident. Mm -hmm. But apparently you can hear noises coming from that side of the wall. That one is creepy because apparently it's just like still the complete room with like furniture and stuff in it from the incident and it's just boarded up. Isn't that creepy? That's really creepy. Yeah. Also, room 666 either doesn't exist or has also been boarded up. Uh, it's also could be offices have been put in there, like hotel offices between those rooms. Yeah. But it just does not exist as well. I feel like that could be made up, too. Just because uh, the, the yeah, I mean, time. They might have just left it off. Yeah. I mean, like you do with the 13th floor. So that's yeah. not too crazy to me. So here's just also just a quick list if you are interested in staying there at what are supposedly some of the most haunted rooms in the hotel. So we've already said room 441, you hear scratching, bombs, cold spots, the gray woman. Uh, that has the most sighting as far as like a specific ghost. The gray woman? Uh-huh. Apparently okay. also rooms 905, okay. 474, okay. and 795 also are supposedly more haunted than the others. Wait, 7... 759. And I believe these are mostly... So like the fourth floor, the seventh floor, and the ninth floor? Yeah, although I did also say the fifth floor, you hear people moaning from the elevator, and two people have died in that elevator shaft. One was that suicide I said, right. and the Breaker other was accidental, a worker fell down the shaft. Ugh. So there have been multiple deaths from there. Okay. Uh, so I saw rumors that there was an exorcism held at the hotel, but the, no record of that. So an exorcism? Yeah, so there might just be something else weird going on with that, but again, I couldn't find actually any records but that's just kind of some more creepy lore about this whole thing that could you know bleed into some of these weird truths about ghosts and spirits and doors and realms yeah so do you want to hear some ghost stories i love ghost stories yeah. now here are some people's first hand accounts okay i had an incident this weekend and i really feel like i need to share and talk about it maybe you guys can help me make sense of it I booked a night at the Congress Plaza Hotel in Chicago. I chose this particular hotel because it was close to a race I would be running in in the morning. The night before I went up, I finally got around to reading the reviews and I was very surprised to learn that it had a reputation as being one of the most haunted hotels in America. Mm -hmm. My reaction was pretty much, well, that's weird, whatever. <laughs> I assumed that most of the hauntings were due to people's imaginations and the building being old. Okay. I headed to Chicago on Friday night, went to a concert that evening and checked in the hotel around midnight. Mm -hmm. It looked like the hotel from The Shining. Very fancy, but an old-fashioned fancy. Like it hadn't been renovated in decades, which is true. Yeah. It felt like a time capsule in days gone by. Okay. I entered my room and was hit by a wall of hot, stuffy air. I got undressed and turned the TV on and ate my takeout food. I definitely got the I'm being watched vibe. 
I chalked it up to me scaring myself with these haunted stories. I was definitely creeped out and was feeling very unsettled, but I told myself I was imagining things. I turned off the TV and plugged a portable fan into the bathroom for background noise and laid down to go to sleep. Just as I started to drift to sleep, I heard a crash from the bathroom. I went in to see what it was. My fan, which had been plugged into the middle of the countertop, was unplugged and in the shower. Hmm. There was no way it could have fallen. It was in the middle of the countertop. I'd had it for a few years and it had never vibrated or moved around the surface before. There was no way it could have fallen. and Even if it did, it certainly wouldn't have landed seven feet away in the middle of the shower. Interesting. It was at this point that I truly, truly felt the presence of being watched. I tried in vain to go back to sleep all night, but it didn't work. At one point, I saw the cord to the lamp swaying back and forth on its own. The closet door kept opening, even when I shut it firmly. And worst of all, there were voices. So many voices. I heard voices on either side of the room, muffled and low enough that I couldn't hear the words. But definitely voices. It could have been other guests, but I guess I don't usually hear a lot of people chattering at 2.30am. The final thing was in my mind. I started thinking about the story that I had read about on the Hotel Haunting, that a woman threw her sons and herself from a 12th story window. My mind has somehow started telling me, you should go look out the window and see what her view was. I was on the 11th floor. I don't think this way. I'm not some sort of emo freak. I'm a very boring suburban housewife. I also have three sons. There's no way in my right mind I would want to look at the scene of that sort of crime from the window. Mm-hmm. It was very disturbing to me that my mind was going there. Yeah. With this, I left and packed at 3 a.m. I told the front desk person that I'm very sorry, I'm very embarrassed, but things are being moved around in my tiny room on their own and other stuff. I'm very sorry, but I can't deal with it and I need to leave. You would think most hotel staff would try and soothe your fears a little, but she kind of looked at me with a look of resignation like she knew what was up. I left, drove three hours to get home, and didn't get around the race. I've never in my life been so terrified. I will never walk into that place again. Hmm. Story number two. I know this is a year-old post, but I stayed at the Congress Plaza Hotel with a friend in July 2020. I've been thinking about it lately and decided to search Reddit to see if anyone had any stories and have found your post. Basically, we didn't know anything about the place, but we walked in and we immediately googled that it was haunted because of how old and spooky it looked. We found out that it was in fact said to be haunted, so we decided to explore the place. Only like a fourth of the hotel was even in use. The rest of the wings were unoccupied and the lights were off in most of the hallways. To make a very long story short, we got lost for about an hour, and I've never been so afraid in my life. It felt like there was only one way back down to the lobby through an open wing and we couldn't find it. We kept winding up to the same place. It was like the classic horror movie trope where you pass the same tree over and over again. Mm -hmm. We heard people whispering through doors and kept hearing footsteps of someone speedily walking behind us. There was also eerie music playing from the ceiling speakers in some random sections of the hotel. And to reiterate, this portion of the hotel was not in use, not even by staff. The whole thing really fucked me up. To top it off, when we finally made it back to our room, we had to sleep there for the entire night. And that was a whole other story that I couldn't find online. Couldn't find his follow-up. That one seems like they worked themselves up. I agree. And that also seems a little fake. But like, I mean, granted, again, you could go to that South Tower that's huge and probably get lost. Because I think that's where they said they were, if I remember. Okay. So story number three. Mm Mm-hmm. At the time I was about 10 years old, my parents decided to take our family, then me and my younger brother, to Chicago for a family weekend. My dad has always been interested in the paranormal, which means that I've always been interested too. 
The entire reason that we booked that specific hotel was because we decided together that it would be really cool to go somewhere with such a strong paranormal history. Anyway, so we booked two nights in the hotel. We had our rooms connected, so it was two rooms, but they were connected by a door so our parents could get to us. They had one room, and then me and my brother had the other. During the first night, I was struggling to sleep and kept tossing and turning. I remember staring out the window of our hotel room at the lights below, and then some movement from the corner of the room would catch my eye. I shifted my focus to the other wall and saw a dark figure slowly moving along it. I could hear the footsteps. Shadow man. Shadow man. I immediately assumed that it was my dad because it was the figure of a man. I didn't think it was a ghost at first because it wasn't what I had assumed it would be. It wasn't transparent and it wasn't wispy. It didn't disappear before my eyes. So it just looked like a black mass? Yep. It looked like someone in the room. A genuine person. I was confused and I just stared. It walked around the side of the room, totally black. I whispered to my brother's bedside to wake him, but he didn't wake. And then the figure walked into the corner of the wall that it had seemed to emerge from and was gone. It was like he just walked through the wall. The following morning, my mother was in the bathroom blow drying her hair after a shower and suddenly yelled at me and my brother to stop tugging on her towel. Me and my brother were in the other room and had never left. We were playing with the Legos our parents had just got us at the Lego store and we hadn't touched her. But when she stopped twice to tell us to quit it, she finally barged in on the third time and saw us playing on the floor. She looked confused and asked what we had been doing, and I told her that we'd been there the entire time. She said she swore that she had seen us in the bathroom tugging her towel, and she was spooked. Nothing major happened, I suppose, but for me as a child, it was pretty scary. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> and that's it. Story number four. How many stories? This is the last one. Oh. And then I have one hotel review. Okay. It's also a story. Earlier this month, I stayed at the Congress Plaza Hotel for the third time in about five years. I've always liked this hotel. It's an old hotel and rich in history, and has much more personality than newer, swankier hotels. My first two days at the Congress were fairly uneventful. The last time was a bit different. When I checked in, I was assigned to room 1190. I took my luggage to the 11th floor and got off of the elevator and checked a sign posted on the wall that would tell me whether my room was to the right or the left. My room didn't fall into either sets of numbers. I wondered if I had taken the wrong elevator. Maybe some rooms could only be accessed by certain elevators. So I went back down to the first floor and immediately found someone who worked at the hotel. I explained what had happened and that my room didn't seem to be up there. She laughed quietly and said, oh, it's up there. Then she got in the elevator with me, which was a bit surprising. When we got off on the 11th floor, I pointed out that the room number wasn't included in the range of numbers on the side outside of the elevator door. Mm -hmm. She didn't seem surprised and told me to follow her. She walked me down a short little hallway to the end at which room 1190 was located. There were no other rooms with room numbers on this hallway. I thought it was a bit curious that the room seemed a bit tucked away, but certainly wasn't alarmed by it. The first night at the hotel was completely uneventful. I fell asleep, woke up, and went to the workshop I was in Chicago to attend. At the workshop, I was given a name tag that said Jennifer on it, even though I go by Jenny. This is relevant to the story, so bear with me. Okay. A colleague of mine also stayed at the Congress Plaza Hotel, but on the seventh floor, and she called me Jenny during the course of the workshop, but everyone else went by my name tag. My colleague and I returned to the Congress Plaza Hotel that evening, completely exhausted. At about 10.30, I got into bed and turned off the light. About 10 minutes after I turned off the light, someone knocked at my door. It alarmed me to say the least. My colleague and I both had cell phones and were constantly texting and calling each other, but I didn't think she would come up without letting me know she was coming first. Mm -hmm. And besides, she didn't know what room I was in. So that ruled her out. Yeah. I decided that someone had the wrong door and just lay there frozen in bed, wishing they'd go away. 
After they knocked maybe five times, a man's voice said, Jenny? My blood froze. It was not a voice I recognized, and the tone and the intonation of the voice was very forceful. Jenny! It wasn't someone coming to see if I was up or if I was in the room. There was no rise in intonation at the end of my name, as though asking a question. The voice said my name three times, knocking again, and then left. Hmm. When I was able to get myself to move, I walked really slowly to the door and looked out the peephole. There was no one there. Then I went into the bathroom and turned on the light. I didn't want to turn the light on my room because I didn't want the person to see it under the door. I texted my colleague asking if she was awake. She didn't respond. So I went ahead and called her. I was freaked out enough that I didn't really care if I woke her up. When I told her what had happened, we both agreed that I should call the front desk. When the woman at the front desk answered the phone, I told her what had happened and asked if there was any reason that the hotel would give my room number to anybody. She assured me that they wouldn't. Then she said something that seemed curious to me. She said, we need to get you a room on a different floor. I agreed, although I thought it was odd that she was quick to suggest it. She said that she would send a bellman to help me change rooms. So I got dressed, hastily packed, and waited for the bellman to come. He helped me move to a room on the seventh floor, the same as my colleague. Needless to say, I didn't sleep much that night. I couldn't think of one logical explanation for what had happened. No one at the workshop we attended was staying at the same hotel. We didn't tell anyone at the workshop where we were staying. Besides, no one at the workshop would have called me Jenny, and I was registered at the hotel as Jennifer too. My colleague and I spent all breakfast trying to come up with logical explanations for who had been at my door. But the only thing we could come up with was that another Jenny was staying on the same floor and a man had the wrong door. But that didn't seem very likely. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the end of that. Oh. She she wraps it up in like four more paragraphs, but that's all that happened to her. Some man knocked on her door. And freaked her out. Hotel review. I stayed there on a company trip, so I didn't actually pick this hotel. All I know is that it was definitely haunted. I was laying on my bed and the curtain moved to the side as if somebody was peeking at me. Then my friend said she heard someone whistling in our room when she was in the bathroom. She looked out and nobody was in there. It happened three times. I had no idea that the hotel was haunted until I told my friend about it and we looked it up. He sent me the link and it's one of the most haunted hotels in Chicago. I wish I had known before staying there. The hallways looked like out of the movie The Shining. The bed was super uncomfortable. The room was absolutely freezing. It was so hot too. I had asked what? I had to ask the bell guy for a lot of extra blankets and my friend and I were still freezing. So I then asked them how to turn the heater on and he said that they only turned the heater on during the winter. Hmm. So he came back to our room and felt how cold it was and he got us a portable heater. What? <laughs> not Why not lie. even like move them to a different room at that point? So in conclusion, I think the hotel is probably definitely haunted. We did not have a haunted experience staying there. Nope. I will say a few lights did mysteriously turn on and off in the hallway, but I think they were just motion sensor. Yeah, we're pretty sure they are. Yeah. Um, I wish we kind of done would have done a little more research before going there, so that we maybe would have done a little more exploration. But it was fun staying there. It was nice going to such an old hotel. Yeah. I I'm, mean, it, it was. I, I am going to agree with your reviewer right there. The hotel room was very cold. It is. But it was also very hot outside that day. So uh, having it be cold is understandably. Um, is you'll, understandable. You'll, you'll find mixed to bad reviews. And it is because it's an old rundown hotel. But it does have a lot of character. There's the banquet halls. There's the elegant lobby and stuff. But... Yeah, the, the rooms room. the rooms are fine. The beds are great. I enjoyed the beds. Um, slept like a rock. Yeah, but I was fine. also it was two day hangover, so that probably 
you know, added made the be- it. added so to the that, comfort of the, the stay. So that is the history of the Congress Plaza Hotel and the ghosts that reside there. Cool. Thanks to listening to our take on the Congress Plaza Hotel. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, like and review, it really helps. We're just a grassroots podcast, so that really helps us. Make sure you check out Urban Hermit for your banter, cult classics for your movie needs, and we'll check you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.